I'm excited to get to teach you guys this morning some more. I, this will be the end of Jonah for us. After, after this, we'll launch into another minor prophet. So three weeks on Jonah, but this is okay. I had three weeks worth of stuff I needed to get uh, uh, in the boat. And so, um, you know, net, net, that's a good little fishing pun. You know, uh, sorry, um, I'm going to abstain from puns, but I do want to tell you that I love good characters. I think characters are rich. I like character. We have characters in our family. I'll bet you know characters that are just iconic characters. One of my favorite TV shows is really funny because, yeah, the lines are funny and but, but it's funny because of the characters, and I don't know if you watch Everybody Loves Raymond reruns or not, but I mean, I know those people. They're in my family, <laughs> if you extend my family out far enough. Um, there's a show out on Apple TV. I can't recommend the, the language of some of it, but it comes from a set of books uh, uh, where there are some characters that speak pretty roughly, but the characters are just so compelling uh, I know uh, Carol and my mom and and their crew have watched Slow Horses. Uh, it's the the first book out about this MI5 in England, um, and, and it's the the character development in it just makes me laugh at some of the things. Now, if you want to get great character development in books, and you don't want to have to filter out some of the language that you're reading, I recommend some of the great books by Deanne Mills, who is in our class. Now, you may be saying, wait, we have an author in our class? Oh, we don't just have an author. That, by the way, Concrete Evidence is her latest. She's got like 50-some-odd books. She's got more awards than you can shake a stick at, yeah. And I did not, she didn't know this was in here this morning. I didn't warn her. I didn't tell her she better get to class. So I don't know if she's in here or not. I haven't seen her. Ah, there she is. Deanne, would you stand up for a minute? Just stand up. She writes Christian fiction. She writes all sorts of, of books. She's written mysteries. She's written romance. She's written all sorts of things across the spectrum. And always great character development. And she's written in the foreword that a lot of the characters are based on the people who sit around her in her life group. Okay, maybe not. But I love good character development, whether I'm reading it, whether I'm watching it on TV, or, or whatever I may be doing. Now, I want to tell you that because it's important to class. It's important as we finish our study of Jonah. Now, I don't know how many of you keep the Jewish calendar or stay up with it. But if you do, you know that we're in the middle of the high holy weeks of Judaism. We've had Rosh Hashanah, which is New Year. And now we've got coming up, sundown on Tuesday night begins Yom Kippur. Yom is the Hebrew word for day. Kippur is a reference to atonement. It's the uh, atoning cover on the tabernacle. And it's, the, it's uh, 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 not tabernacle, it's the, on the Ark of the Covenant. It's the atonement of where today... Jews will fast, observant Jews will fast from sundown to sundown. They will attend temple. They should try and attend three different times, I believe. But it starts at sundown Tuesday and it goes to sundown on Wednesday. And at the afternoon service on Wednesday, every year, Yom Kippur, they read the story of Jonah. Every year. So those who are Gentiles like me that aren't going to be uh, uh, in temple this Wednesday, um, we've covered Jonah. We're like, this is like, now it's not Yom Kippur, but every day should be a good day of atonement. Uh, as Christians, we believe the atonement has been wrought once and for all for us through the sacrifice of Christ. And so we remember that sacrifice is our atonement. But the story of Jonah is a great story for a number of different reasons we'll look at later in terms of, of Day of Atonement and why Jews will read it in, in their service each year. But I just want to tell you, 
it's a great character study. It's a great study of the different characters. Now, I've got a couple of slides that are some background slides. Those of you who've been here repeatedly, don't go to sleep. If you're going to go to sleep, just have your neighbor. I met these, talked to these five wonderful ladies on this row right back here. They're waving at me. Gloria, you're in the middle. If those ladies on either side go to sleep during this review, wake them up when it's over. You don't have to wake them up during the review. Let them sleep through it. Wake them up. I mean, like, Brent's already asleep. But you, you just, uh, when it's over. But here it is. We need to make sure for people who are watching this on the internet or who haven't been in here that they've got just the backbones of the story. So the story is really short. The whole book of Jonah is just 47 verses. It's a really short story. But if we understand what the story says, the the story is, the Lord tells Jonah, leave Israel where you are and go out to Nineveh, which is one of the capital cities of Assyria, and preach repentance to them. And Jonah says, no thank you, I don't want to do that, and I'm just going to leave you, God This is where you and I part company. And he gets in a boat headed the exact opposite direction. And God says, well, you don't leave me that easily. And the boat starts a storm. Or I mean, God starts a storm on the boat. And the the boat is uh, 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 having a lot of trouble. And the sailors are all upset. And the sailors are trying to figure out what's going on. And they figure out that it's Jonah. And ultimately, though they didn't want to, they throw him overboard to save their own lives. They're saved. Jonah is uh, eaten by a big fish. And for three days and three nights, he's in Sheol. He's in uh, um, Hades. He's dead in the fish, for lack of a better way of saying it. And he prays to God, and God has the fish spit him up. And he gets back to land, and God says, now let's try this again. I want you to go to Nineveh and preach repentance. And this time he says, okay, 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 I'll go. And he goes, and he preaches repentance, and the people of Nineveh repent. And then God doesn't destroy Nineveh, and, and Jonah's all upset and, and pouting because God didn't do what he wanted him to. And, and so God and Jonah have this final uh, talk to And uh, we never know if Jonah changes his heart or not, but God explains to him how important repentance is. And that's the story. Now, I want to look at some characters. And last week, I looked at what the story said about God and what the story said about Jonah and of what the story says about us. This week, I want to look about what the story says on the sailors, what the story says about the Ninevites, and then what the story says about Jesus. So we've got three more characters to look at and we'll be done with the story of Jonah. First, let's talk about what the story says about the sailors. And to get to that, we're going to pull the book off the shelf. We're going to open it up at Jonah, the first chapter, the fourth verse. And here's where we pick it up. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Now, if you're reading this in Hebrew, one of the things that's going to strike you is this, a great wind was upon the sea. In Hebrew, ruach is the word for wind. Ruach is also the word for spirit. So, when you're reading this in Hebrew and you see that a great spirit, Gadolah, is great, so a spirit that's great is upon the sea, you start thinking back to Genesis 1 verse 2 because there it says that the ruach, the wind, the spirit of God is upon the face of Hayam, the sea. The deep. 
So the river, the, the wind of God is upon the sea, uh, the, 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 the moves across the waters in Genesis 1. It may not say Hayam, but I think it does. And you've got this picture that God's at work. And it starts here early. So God's at work. Now, by the way, at, especially at the time of Jonah, but in general, the Israelites did not like the ocean. They were not a seafaring nation. They had all sorts of ideas of, of horrible creatures, Leviathan and others, that are in the ocean. They were, not, they, they were a mountain and hill and desert people. They weren't the Phoenicians that were seagoing or the Philistines that were seagoing. They thought the sea was associated with chaos. But it's very significant that God is even over chaos and behind the chaos of the sea. So God hurls the great wind upon the sea. It's a mighty storm that threatens to break up the ship. Then the mariners were afraid. And each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. Now, fear is a huge um, theme. I think you've got the word over a dozen times in just those 47 verses of Jonah. And so you see that word fear, yara, and, and it jumps out at you when you're reading. The mariners are afraid and they're crying out to his own God, to his God. Now, El, Elohavu, is to, to, to each one's God. They're, they're in, in Hebrew... There are some different words that are used for God, and we need to understand them. You've got a general word for God that is El, and that's singular. If it's in the plural form, it is Elohim. And so that is plural, and those are just general words for God. And that's whether it's a pagan God. Whether it's the Lord God, it's just a general word for God, like our word God. We'll capitalize it if we're referring to our God, and we lowercase if we're referring to pagan gods. But if you were going to talk about the Norse god Odin, you would use the word El in Hebrew. That's just the general word for God. Okay, so you see it in Hebrew. This is the word El. It's an Aleph and a Lamed. E-L. E-L sound. So each man cries out to his own God. They're scared and they turn to God as they know or believe in him. Got it? Now it continues, and if you, whoops, go back, hurled into the sea to lighten it for them, they're hurling the cargo, the captain comes to Jonah, who's asleep. He says, what do you mean, you sleeper? And, and, and the, the Greek word used in the Greek translation of this is snorer, okay? Hey, snore man, what, do you, what are you doing? What are you doing? Arise, you call out to your God. That yellow should extend over here to the olive. You call out to this ending, makes it your, to your Elohim. Call out to yours. Each one of us are calling out to ours. We don't know who's going to hear. Because remember, the pagans have trouble with their gods. Their gods are like humans that are just supersized. It's like they go through the drive-thru and they say, supersize it. Okay? Their, their gods are supersized humans. So you and I, we need to go to sleep at times. Their gods go to sleep at times. You and I go on vacation, their gods go on vacation. You and I get preoccupied with one thing or another, 
their gods get preoccupied with one thing or another. Their gods are something made in the human's image instead of the human being made in God's image. And so their gods are their creation. And they're thinking, man, mine could be asleep right now. He's clearly not listening or she's not. They may be preoccupied. This might be a time our God's on vacation. Or there was a time that one of the gods of Mesopotamia got stung by a bee. Only because it was the only way to arouse the God and wake him up. So, you, you know, you, you just don't know what's going on. So would you please start praying to your God? Maybe, maybe he's in right now. Maybe he'll pay attention. Arise, perhaps the God. And here they take the Greek, I mean the Hebrew letter He, and they put it in front of the Elohim. And He just means the. Maybe the God, yours will give a thought to us. Maybe he'll pay attention. Nobody else's gods are. Because we don't want to die. We don't want to perish. And so, they said to one another, Hey, there's clearly a problem here. Let's cast lots so we can know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lots fall on Jonah. Now we need to take a detour for a moment. Casting lots. Let's talk about that. So casting lots back in that day, they had die. They had uh, uh, not just die, they had what are called throw sticks. This is, uh, these are in the Metropolitan Museum. This is a throw stick. It predates Jonah. That die is a die that, that's from the Roman era. So it's got the cube with the numbers on it. One and six, two and four. How, wait, one, six, two. It's got the numbers on it. And the throw stick is one where you throw it and you see which way it points. Most scholars believe that the dye probably used at this time had white and black on different sides of it. And it could have been a cube, it could have been a different, different shape, but they would roll it to see what happened and to see what the gods say. And you say, well, what a bunch of pagans. Wait a minute. Look at 1 Samuel 10, 20 through 21 for a moment. 1 Samuel 10... 20 through 21. <clears throat> Samuel brought all of the tribes of Israel near. And the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. He brought the tribe of Benjamin near by its clans. And the clan of the Matrites was taken by Lot. And Saul the son of Kish was taken by Lot. And then ultimately the people get real stoked because he's taller than anybody else. Whoops. But they found him by lot. You say, well, yeah, his kingship didn't last very long. That ought to be a lesson. Look at Proverbs. Proverbs 16.33. The dice, the lot, is cast into the lap. But it's every decision is from the Lord. So, every decision from the Lord? All right, you say, okay. And let me get the scripture up for those of you who are taking notes. That was Proverbs 16.33. Now we're going to go to Acts 1, 24 through 26. This is after the resurrection of Jesus, but before he's ascended to 
uh, or before he, we've had Pentecost, I should say. And Acts 1, 24, the people, the, the apostles are aware they lost Judas. So they're thinking, we need 12, that's the number. 12 tribes of Israel, 12 apostles, 12 months of the year, not then, but now. So 12, Acts 1, 24 and 25. They put forward two. We'll go back to verse 23. Joseph called Barsabbas, who is also called Justice, or Eustace, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, Lord, you know the hearts of all. Show which one of these two you've chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them. And the lot fell on Matthias and he was numbered with the 11 apostles it was a very common way that people tried to discern the will of the gods back then now this promotes a question when you've got to make an important decision should you break out the Yahtzee set No, I do not recommend anyone, anyone make decisions based upon a roll of the dice. Am I saying that God can't control the roll of the dice? Oh, I mean, Gideon could put out a fleece. God can do what God chooses to do. But I'll also tell you that I don't believe that's the way God wants you to make decisions. You know, Dr. Floyd used to talk about the fellow who, who picked out... Um, his decisions by sort of a roll of the dice. He would say, God, um, teach me what I need to do. Show me the way. Judas went and he hung himself. (laughs) God, please, show me the way. Go thou and do likewise. God, please, show me the way. What thou doest, doest quickly. I'm sure that's fictional. But a very fundamental concept of the Bible is something called progressive revelation. And we all need to understand this. We understand the world so much better than they did back in Jonah's day. We know what an eclipse is. We understand the earth is spinning and rotating around the sun. We have Google to tell us all things true and all things false. Um... In the same way that people's understanding has progressed through time, God has been able to progressively reveal more of who he is. And so when you go back into the earliest pages of Scripture, the revelation of God was relatively small compared to now. When Abraham was in trouble, he couldn't open up the Psalms and find a psalm of consolation to read. When his wife Sarah dies, he doesn't have Psalm 23 to say over her graveside. Over time, God revealed himself more and more and more. And the Christian understanding is that this revelation of God became complete in Christ and the presence of the Holy Spirit among us. And so the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, would come into the believer to teach us, to remind us, to convict us, to direct us. And so we don't have to roll the dice with the Holy Spirit. Now you say, but wait a minute, sometimes I want answers and the Holy Spirit's not like speaking out loud. Well, but the Holy Spirit is at work in you, renewing your mind. 
as you walk with God, the Holy Spirit is transforming and rewiring your brain. As you spend time with God in His presence, as you spend time worshiping Him, the, the, the brain cells that you have in those neural connections are being rewired in a way that greater open you to the Holy Spirit and to understanding what God wants you to do. God is not about turning you into a robot who rolls the dice for every decision. God's trying to grow you in Christ through His Spirit to be all you can be. So we can compare, for example, what the apostles did in Acts one twenty four when faced with the big decision of how to replace Judas with Acts chapter 15. And in Acts chapter 15, the Holy Spirit's come. And the Holy Spirit's been working in them. And the Holy Spirit's expanding the church. And they're seeing the work of God. And, and they've got a huge decision to make. They've got to decide whether or not you have to become a Jew before you can become a Christian. Because Jews are Christians, are becoming Christians by the thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands all around the Mediterranean world. But now the Gentiles are seeing the truth of God as well. And they are becoming Christians. And the church is plagued because a bunch of people think, well, wait, 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 wait. Christianity is a part of Judaism. So before they become Christians, they have to become Jewish. And the church gets together to debate this. And they didn't roll the dice to figure out the answer. God, yes is one. You know, put it all on red. They, they, they're not, they didn't go to Las Vegas to decide this. They went to Jerusalem and they weren't rolling the dice. They go to Jerusalem and they have a conference. And, and they all get together and look what it says. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. Doesn't say they rolled the dice. It says there'd been much debate. And then they start talking about it. And then they listened to Paul and Barnabas as they related what signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles. And they continue to debate it. And then they go to scripture and say, is this what the prophets are talking about? When it says, I'll rebuild the tent of David and its ruins and I'll restore it. That the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name. Isn't this what the Lord said through the prophets? And so then it seemed good to them, that the, the apostles and the elders and the whole church, to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and, and Barnabas. And they send out a letter. And when they send out the letter, look what it says. The letter says, It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden in these requirements. They understood it was the Holy Spirit who had guided their debate, who had guided their discussion, who had guided their prayer, who had guided their look through Scripture. And if you want to make a decision, that's the way to make it. We're people in, where the Holy Spirit indwells within us. And so we need the Holy Spirit to work within us. We don't need a roll of the dice. Okay? Now, back to the story. <laughs> and they said to one another, come on, let's roll the dice and decide who this is. Don't get me wrong, God was working with those dice. But God's inside us now. Don't, be, don't go back to pagan days and pagan ways. Then they said to him, tell us, this is to Jonah. They've got Jonah now. Tell us on whose account this evil's come upon us. It's clearly your fault. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? Now, if Jonah's answering those questions as they're asking them, what's your occupation? Well, I'm a prophet. I speak the word of Yahweh, the Lord. Where do you come from? Israel. 
He's the God of Israel. What's your country? Israel. What people are you? The chosen people, chosen by Yahweh to do his work. And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew. I fear Yahweh, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven. You know, we had our sheet going here of different words that are used here for God. And you've got that general word, God. But then you've got this word, Yahweh, which doesn't have any vowels with it. So it's just the Y sound, the H sound, and the V or W sound, and the H sound. And that is the name of Jehovah. That God gave Moses. So that's the name of God. That's specifically God's name by which we know him. That sets God apart, the true God, apart from all the pagan gods. That's capital G. That's the Lord God. So Jonah says, I fear Yahweh, and he's the God. He's Yahweh. That's the Y-H, V or W-H. And this is God, E-L. So Yahweh is the God who made the Shemayim, the heavens. He's the God of the heavens. Actually, it's not made. He's the God of the heavens. He's the one I fear that made the sea, that made the dry land. That's the one I fear. I fear him. Y'all are scared of the storm. I'm scared of the one who made the storm. Now, then the men who had been afraid were exceedingly afraid. And they said to him, okay, what have you done? Because they knew he was fleeing from the presence of Yahweh. He probably told them that when he got on the ship. Says, oh, I got to go. I'm fleeing Yahweh. Well, that didn't mean much to them until they found out that he's the one who made the heavens and the earth and the sea. Thanks a lot. So you're on the run from God. The God in control of all of this. So they're like, okay, well, we're going to do everything we can to, to deal with this. And, and, and before I get to that verse, and they start chunking all the stuff overboard and they're trying to row back as best as they can. And Jonah just says, look, man, just throw me overboard, get rid of me and you'll be fine. They're like, no, we're not going to commit murder. That's just not good by anybody's God. He says, chunk me overboard or you're all going to die. So then they call out, the sailors call out to Yahweh. Not to their gods anymore. Now they're calling out to Yahweh. And they said, Yahweh, let us not perish because of this man's life. And don't lay on us innocent blood. Sorry, we're killing him. But, oh Lord, you just take care of him. And they dump him overboard. And when they do so, they pick him up, hurl him into the sea. The sea stops its storm. Then the men who were scared of the storm, who were exceedingly afraid when they found out who Jonah had ticked off, then the men, not ticked off, that's not fair to God, found out, uh, they, they, they were afraid when they found out Jonah was disobedient and on the run from God and in need of a lesson. Then the men, whoops, feared Yahweh. So their fear went from the storm to Jonah's behavior to finally Yahweh himself. They feared Yahweh exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to Yahweh and made vows to Yahweh. 
you see in a snapshot here another kind of progressive revelation. They started out with their gods, and each one had their own gods. And then they're seeking God, and finally at the end, they're making their vows to God. And their enlightenment on divinity and deity progresses in just those few short verses. So what does this say, bless you, about the sailors? It says they were religious pagans who knew trouble when they saw it, and in that trouble found God. It's a great story about them. Now we've got to shift gears real quick and talk about the Ninevites. I gave you this in a few lessons back. Um, 8th century B.C., keep us in this time frame. This is the time frame of Jonah. 8th century B.C. is when the Olympic Games started. It was the founding of Rome. It was uh, um, Mayan Empire. It was the Mound people up in Ohio. You've got uh, Homer. Uh, during this period of time, Homer writes the Odyssey. Homer writes the Iliad, the conquering of Troy, the Trojan horse, all of that kind of stuff. You've got then Jonah. And if you understand that this is the time of Jonah, then you've got a good understanding of the world. Um, so I blow that up and change it to a, a better map so that we can understand where we are. I want you to remember you've got the Egyptian empire down here. You've got the Assyrian empire up there. And here you've got Judah and Israel. Israel's in the north. Judah's in the south. Here was our timeline, if you remember this. Moses, somewhere 1450 to 1240 B.C. Good arguments for both of those dates being right. Somewhere in there you've got David finally with a kingship around 100 to 962. His son Solomon after him, and then in 922, these kingdoms divide under Rehoboam and Jeroboam. And then you've got the prophets starting to proclaim around 780, the ones that are in the minor prophets, I should say, and the major prophets, but Elijah and Elisha and other prophets have preceded that, Samuel and others. But these are the written prophets that we've got the books of. So if that's our time area, we've got the minor prophets in there, and that's when we've got Jonah. Now, I want to go in a little bit deeper, and I want to place Nineveh here. So this is Israel. This is where King Jeroboam II reigns, and Jonah is his uh, in-house wise prophet who's helping him expand his kingdom. And he needs to expand it. To the north of him, this is the Assyrian kingdom. And it's in a little bit of a contraction because just earlier it reached all the way down here into Israel and Israel was having to pay tribute to the Assyrian Empire and the Assyrian king. Up here on the Tigris River is Nineveh. And so that puts a time, a, 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 a geographic framework into what we're looking at. Now at this time, the Assyrian Empire, which has been around for longer than the United States of America has today. It's been around for a long time. The Assyrian Empire at this time is ruled by a king, Adad-Nirari III, from 805 to 782 B.C. Now, he had taken tribute from Egypt. Excuse me. He was the one earlier who took tribute. He's not the one at the time of Jonah because the tribute ceased. See, Jeroboam's been able to expand a little bit. He's had to contract. And, and, and the, the Assyrian Empire is in a bit of disarray. If you were to go to the British Museum after lunch today, um, by the time you got there, it'd be closed. But if you could get in anyway you would find these limu lists. Limu is an Akkadian word that references magistrates. And the magistrates at the time of Jonah, the magistrates were really good record keepers in Assyria. And they've got lists of records. And these were found in Nineveh when they were excavating Nineveh a little over a hundred years ago. And these lists are really profound and they tell us what was going on in Nineveh and in the Assyrian kingdom at the time of Jonah. And so you can go and you can read. In 765 BC, a plague breaks out. 
Now I want you to imagine you're one of the Ninevites before Jonah comes to preach to you. And his message is going to be a message of, you better repent because your evils come up before Yahweh, God, and Yahweh, God, is going to destroy you if you don't repent. And so with that kind of message, you're telling it to people who've endured a plague. Not, and, and their plagues turned, were a lot worse than COVID turned out to be. 763, there's a revolt in the city of Asher. This is the Ashurian Empire. It's a capital city. So they've got a revolt happening in 763. In 763, there's also an eclipse of the sun. We can date that. We know from the, the tablets and from constructing astronomic facts that it happened on June the 15th of that year for about three hours. And where Nineveh was, it would have been a 97% total eclipse. Now they don't understand what it is. They just know the sun went, went away for like three hours. That's not a good omen if you don't know what it is. 763, you've got an eclipse. 762, there's another revolt in the city of Asher. 761, there's a revolt in the city of Arapa. They're having revolts everywhere. 760, another revolt in the city of Arapa. 759, a revolt in the city of Guzana. And if that's not enough in 759, another plague breaks out. And in comes Jonah. Oh, let me add a little other layer of detail. I showed you the Assyrian Empire here. Right north of it is Urartu, around Lake Van, up in, in uh, modern Turkey. Urartu. And the Urartu people, they're threatening to invade. And they come in, and there's nothing stopping them from coming down from the hills and going straight to Nineveh. And so when Jonah comes in and says, you're going to be invaded... You're going to be overthrown, whether from inside or from outside, or by plague, if you don't repent. The people took it seriously. And so when the word of the Lord comes to Jonah saying this, the people repent. And the king says, repent, and makes it a royal decree. Now the king's probably not the Assyrian king-king, but it's the ruler over Nineveh, because they had like, what in Hebrew we would call sub, uh, a, a king, a melech in Hebrew, but, but it's a, a ruler over that area. He says, repent, man, everybody. And everybody does. And I like what this says of the Ninevites because it says the same thing about them that it said of the sailors. These are religiously pagan people who know trouble when it's knocking at their door and they find God. Now we know historically it doesn't last. But they find God. And I want to go through this because I want us to see something about Jesus here. So here, here's a, a famous painting of, of Jonah. Um, but I want you to see what is said of what Jesus says in Matthew 12. Jesus answers and says, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. No sign's going to be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, and if you read the story, he's in Sheol, he's in Hades. So will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and someone greater than Jonah is here Jonah was the reluctant missionary Jesus so loved the world that he gave of himself Jesus humbled himself to come here it was his choice you know Israel was supposed to be God's light to the nations Mission work was supposed to be their calling. But Jonah personifies disobedient Israel that was so wrapped up in their own stuff 
They weren't hearing and doing what God told them to do. Jesus is the obedient Israel. I got a great email from a buddy of mine, a friend of the library, watch, friend of the class, watches the class faithfully, posted on it in YouTube all the time. Uh, Mike sent me an email saying, basically, you better be sure and cover this before you close. <laughs> You're right, Mike. I mean, this is... This is why Jesus is the obedient Israel. He's doing what Israel was supposed to be doing. Israel is so wrapped up in themselves, they're not doing it. And that's why Nineveh is going to rise up and condemn the, 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 those challenging Jesus in his day. Because they would repent. And, and someone greater than Jonah is preaching to that generation who's refusing the Lord. And I think this is so profound. And I think this is part of the reason why this story is so appropriate even on Yom Kippur. Maybe especially on Yom Kippur. So why did the Jews read Jonah? during their Day of Atonement, their holiest of days. Well, the week between Rosh Hashanah, a little over a week, and Yom Kippur, an observant Jew is going to be trying to remember all of the bad things they've done over the last year. And call and write and ask for forgiveness where they need to and things like that. It's a time of introspection and repentance. Christians, of course, believe that, that our sins have been atoned for by the Lord Jesus' sacrifice. But that doesn't change our need to be observant about ourselves and still be a repentant people. Humility should be our, our calling card. Not holier than thou. Holier than thou is what gets people in trouble. Bless you. So let's look at this within the points for home, and we'll start with that question, why did the Jews read Jonah during Yom Kippur? I want to read to you from uh, a Jewish writer, S.Y. Agnon. Israel said to God, and this is, he's quoting a midrash, or a, a teaching, a parable. Jesus said to God, Master of the universe, if we repent, will you accept it? God responded, would I accept the repentance of the people of Nineveh and not yours? We read, we read Jonah to be reminded that if God could forgive Nineveh, of course God can forgive us. That's the forgiveness that God's got. The Ninevites, I, I promise you there's not a person in this room who is more corrupted and more sinful than anybody in Nineveh. And yet God forgives the Ninevites. And we understand the forgiveness of God is because Jesus has atoned for our sins. You don't have a sin that is too treacherous, too bad, too horrible. That Jesus is not pure enough to die for it. Or not loving enough to die for it. He didn't come here and die for, you know, the mediocre sins. He, he didn't come here to die for the people who were, you know, pretty good. All things equal. I mean, he came here for the worst of the worst of the worst. In fact, he hung out with some of the worst of the worst of the worst. In fact, Paul was one of the worst of the worst of the worst. In his holier-than-thou attitude. Second point for home. Where does your fear drive you when you're afraid? Health fears, family fears, money fears, social fears, work fears, church fears. Where do your fears drive you? The fears drove Jonah away from God. The fear drove the Ninevites and the mariners to God. I want to be driven to God. In fact, I'd rather go running to Him so that the fears have trouble catching up to me. 
Because I'm already running to the master who made heaven and earth. Which brings me to my third point, the importance of growing. I look at the story of the sailors and I look at the story of, of the Ninevites. And the language grows as the people grow. So you've got the sailors and the whole story starts out with the word of Yahweh coming to Jonah. And Jonah fleeing from the presence of Yahweh. And it's Yahweh and it's Yahweh and it's Yahweh. And then you get to the storm and you get to the sailors and they're concerned about their gods, their L, their L. And then by the time the story is over, they've grown to worship and vow to and pledge themselves and sacrifice to Yahweh. That's growth. I want to grow before God. I've been walking with him basically all my life. But I still want to grow. I want to be more like him. I want to have his heart. I want him to transform my mind. I want him to, to clean out my ears. To open my eyes to see him better, more clearly. I want him to, to use my voice and my brain to try to understand him better and to share him with you and the world better. I've got a finite number of breaths left in me. And you may be having your third birthday like our grandson yesterday. Even John Henry, actually his birthday, the party was yesterday. He didn't turn till tomorrow um, but he's got a set number of breaths in him as well how are you going to use them how am I going to use mine I want to use mine to grow in the Lord I desperately want to and I hope you continue to join me in that I think you want it too or you wouldn't be in here so we'll do this together okay and I look forward to seeing you next week. Let me bless you in the name of Jesus. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask your blessings on all who hear this message. That you would quicken our hearts, Father. That your spirit would speak to us and convict us of sin and righteousness and judgment. In ways, Father, that communicate your atonement for us. Your love for us. But remove us from this self-holiness into a world of repentant humility gratefully pointing to the work of Jesus, to this watching world, and telling everyone the good news of salvation. That's our prayer through our Lord. Amen.